want to introduce you. Um, there's a couple that have come into this church lately, and they have just made a big difference in the lives of a lot of people, young people specifically. And um, Edward and Melissa Romero, we just we just thank you for your service. They've been working with the youth, helping Jason. And uh, they have a heart and a passion. I was chatting with Edward this morning. They have a heart and a passion for young people. And not only young people, but as those young people progress into adulthood, which is really important and something I think that the church is lacking. And so uh, I want to welcome Edward to, he's going to speak with us today. He's, God's put something on his heart today, and we just, we just want to welcome you, Edward. Come on up and share the word. Good morning. I love to hear Pastor Ron every morning tell us good morning. We're missing him this morning. I have to say it is an honor to have been asked by him to bring the word in his absence. Um, those of you that don't know me, um, you may know me through my wife. Uh, she had the opportunity to teach her a couple weeks ago, and she gave a really funny story. I don't think it's that funny, but some of you think it's funny. Uh, she said that uh, her testimony is that one day as she was in, uh, she's, she's my high school sweetheart. We started dating when we were uh, in 11th grade. And she, her testimony is, and, and, and I always tell her, well, now I can understand the, why she looked at me the way she did. She's sitting in the hall, drinking at the water fountain. And the Lord said to her in an audible voice, this is her testimony, not mine. That will be your husband. And she looks up and I'm standing right there. Uh, you have to realize, I was not this good looking, okay? I was skinny. I was 140 pounds. I was a nerd. I was not the man I am today. So I, I can see why she kind of looked around me and wondering, well, where is he, Lord? Where is he? And I always, she always tells that story and I'm starting to get a little bit of a feeling about what she was actually thinking at that time because she thinks it's funny and I don't think it was funny. I thought, wow, the Lord has spoken to her. Well, anyways, this morning, um, I just want to thank you all for coming. Um, if this is your first time, we want to make you welcome. Um, this has been our church for the past four months, and I have to say that God is good. God is so good. I stand before you this morning humbled because I'm not, going to, I'm not going to go into our testimony. But for me to be here this morning is God. It's not me. It's God. And if I speak to you this morning as a man, I will fail you. But if God works this morning, God never fails us. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me? We're gonna, we're, the, the title of my message this morning is Camouflaged. And if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we'll be reading out of Romans chapter 12 today. You know, I, when, when I went to basic training, I remember getting issued my camouflage. And, you know, back in the 90s, back in the 90s, camouflage was pretty cool, especially the kind of background I came from. 
I love to be in the mountains. I love to hunt. I love to just get out in God's creation. And I remember that when I signed up, if anything I got out of the army was I was going to get camouflage. I was really excited. That was a, kind of a, a, a dumb reason to get excited. But if I would sit right here, right now, against this tree, can you see me? But if I was wearing my camouflage, you couldn't see me. Because camouflage is meant to hide us, to hide who we are. I know that as so, early, in the 19, in, early in the 19th century, Camouflage was developed as the muskets went away and high-power rifles came in. Camouflage was developed to better conceal our, our, our soldiers. With the increased accuracy of bullets and the increased accuracy of rifles, now we had to conceal our soldiers because they were standing out there and they were getting picked out. So camouflage became really popular right around the First World War. And today camouflage comes in so many different varieties. They'll take a picture of the scenery and put it right on clothes. They'll, they, they have uh, computers that generate and break up, try to break up your pattern. And, and, and camouflage has become a big industry. I know when I'm out there hunting, my desire is to blend in. I want to look just like a tree. I want to smell like a tree. I want to be as inconspicuable as possible. I don't want to stand out. And I say that to say this, some of us as Christians have camouflaged into the world. We don't want to stand out. We're afraid to stand out. When you begin to proclaim the goodness of God or even talk about God, little red flags go up all around us. It's often difficult as a Christian to go to someone and begin to speak to them about the goodness of God. Because when we begin to speak about the goodness of God, people begin to get a perception of who we are. I know when people begin to speak to me about God back in 1990. Now this was a time, I lived in a time where there was a group of Christians in the, in the plaza. And they were pointing fingers and telling us we're going to hell. And I remember walking down in the plaza, and that's my perception of what a Christian was. So when I heard the word Christian, I heard somebody talking about how they love God. Right away, I would uh, get a little bit, you know, I kind of shut them off. And, okay, that's it. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm not going to talk to that person anymore. But we really strive to fit in. Christians today really strive to fit in. We don't want to go against the grain. You know, it's hard to be different. I think human nature makes us want to fit in. Who doesn't want to fit in? Who wants to stand out like a sore thumb? Who wants to be shunned by other people? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, reads as following. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to, be te then you will be able to test and approve what God will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's interesting to note that Paul says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. See, 
We conform to this world not only in the way we look, but in the way we think. The world teaches us to think a certain way. We begin to take care of ourselves. We begin to take care of our needs. We begin to take care of our families. We begin to take care of the needs of our household. And we learn this through society. We've learned, I, I learned from my father that I needed to take care of my family. I, he took care of us really well. I needed to learn how to take care of my family. I remember my dad would always say, you always have to take care of number one. And, I, and, and he would begin to explain to me that that would be my family, myself, my family, my children. But yet, the Word of God is completely different. When you begin to understand the Word of God, we can't be in that mindset. God wants us to transform because we have to be a peculiar people. We have to be a chosen people. We have to be a people that stands out that is not like everyone else, but different. Sometimes the only way to replace the world, and the only way to replace the world's way of thinking is to replace it with God's truth. And God's truth is revealed in the Bible. Transformation of our minds comes when we as believers begin to get into God's word, get into communication with God through prayer, and when we begin to worship him. See, we can't be transformed there's too many Christians today trying to be transformed, trying to be different on our own strength. We cannot be different on our own strength. If you don't know the heart of God, how are you going to replicate the heart of God? If you don't know the desires of God, how are you going to fulfill the desires of God? God has called us to be a chosen generation. I'm reminded in the Bible where it says, the laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. We have too many Christians, and, and, and as I say this, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm included in this. As God began to give me this message, it wasn't something that I was pointing fingers or had anyone in mind. I had myself in mind. You see, God's given us, my wife and I, a heart for young people. For 10 years, I was a youth pastor at my church. And I never went outside the walls. I was like the church babysitter. I was a teenage babysitter. I found something for them to do. We found something to, we were able to give them functions and give them the word and give them uh, teachings, but yet something was missing. How can you say that you're a, I look back at my life and I, I remember 13 years ago, when God called us into the public schools, God called my wife, my wife and I into the public schools. She's a public school teacher. She's a seventh grade teacher at Camino Real. And I work for the city of Santa Fe. That's where I get paid. The job I love starts at 3 o'clock, at 3.30, and it takes place in a gym. I'm a coach at two, two middle schools. I coach at Camino Real, and I coach at De Vargas Middle School. I've coached for 13 years. I remember the first time I walked into a game, a middle school game, my daughter was playing volleyball. And I remember I was not happy the way the coach was treating her, the things she was learning. And I began to complain to the principal about this coach because they did not reflect my values. Who am I to point out, point a finger at someone else when I'm sitting in a church 
teaching kids the gospel truth, the good, the good news of God, and yet I would not reach out to our community. God spoke to my wife and I, and God spoke to me in particular and told me, as I went to talk to the principal, this is what he told me. Well, we have an opening. If you're so quick to judge, why don't you come and help us? And it blew me away. And I began, I left there, and I, there was a conviction that fell upon my heart. Because here I was, working with young people, and yet I wasn't reaching young people that really needed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that really needed the good news of Jesus Christ. I was conformed to this world. I was a Christian, and yet I was living in the shadows, trying not to stand out, trying not to be different, trying to get by by teaching. You know, we think in our minds that we're righteous and that we're doing these things for God, and yet I was not in the will of God. Yes, I was teaching young people. Yes, I was ministering to young people. But they already knew Christ. I was sharing something with someone that already had it. Have you ever tried to give something to someone that... Have you ever tried to feed a fool person? You offer everything you offer them, they just don't want it anymore. But have you ever really honestly fed someone that is hungry? Someone that is homeless? And they look at you. And they accept it and receive it with so much joy and gladness because they don't know where their next meal is coming from. You don't know how long they've, it's been since they've eaten. And God began to move us and begin to move me into the public schools. And I remember the first thing I said to myself was, I was scared. 32 years old, going into public school, working with 13 and 14-year-olds. These were unsaved kids. They were on drugs. They came from fatherless homes. They cussed. I can go on and on and on, and they scared the living daylights out of me. I am not lying. I went in there thinking that I was this man of God, and now I'm put in a situation where these 13 and 14-year-olds are scaring me half to death. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know what to do. I remember walking in nervous as can be. Because see, I had conformed to the world. I really hadn't stood out to where God wanted to put me. God wanted to use me as a light. And God began to move us. And I remember going in and the first, the first, the first uh, sport that I coached was girls basketball. I mean, I'm sorry, boys basketball. Now, I've played basketball, but I don't know if you've ever been a coach or not. Coaching basketball and playing basketball is two different things. Having kids that have attitude and having kids at the church that do what you say is two different things. I quickly realized that making kids run was my best tool. They start giving me lip. Let's go. Let's go. I have a young man back there that plays basketball for me and he's shaking his head. Yup. <laughs> yup. But God had a different plan. My season was over. My season of, of being in the church and learning His Word and teaching His Word to kids that wouldn't talk back to me, kids that wouldn't question what I was saying was over. 
now God was taking me to a new season. And my mind began to transform as I got deeper and deeper into God's Word because fear gets us closer to God. When you're in fear, you get closer to God. How do I know this? I read the book of Jacob. Well, I, I, I look at the life of Jacob. Not the book of Jacob. I look at the life of Jacob. And when Jacob was getting ready to confront his brother, after deceiving him and hearing his brother's words ring in his ear saying, the next time I see you, I will kill you. Imagine that being the last time you spoke with your brother or sister and those were the words that they said to you. See, Jacob was mama's boy. He was used to being with mom. He did things with mom. Isaac was not mama's boy. He knew how to hunt. He knew how to gut. He knew how to kill. He knew how to do everything. Well, maybe not the mama boy things, but he knew how to do the man things. And I call them the man things because I like those things. <laughs> but he knew how to do these things. So his brother, rightfully so, had fear. And when he was getting ready, when he heard, heard received a word that, the, that his brother was coming to meet him, immediately fear came upon his heart. And what does he do? The word of God says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him and began to speak with him. And that night, Jacob wrestled with God till the very morning because he needed to know that God had everything under control. He needed to know that everything was going to be all right. He needed to know that God was going to make the situation what he thought it should be. The Word of God says that he even just, I mean, we, just a few, just a few, I don't know, it's been a while already. I was watching a um, never watch UFC. Never watch UFC, but Holly Holmes is fighting. And who doesn't want to see someone local go up against, I mean, here's, here's David and Goliath. Uh, to me, this was the David and Goliath of fights. We have Holly Holmes, a local girl that, I mean, you, you, you heard Ronda Rousey speak about her. And Ronda Rousey, oh, I'm just going to beat her and send her back home. And, you know, she'll get a little bit of money. She can go buy a new home. And she's going off about how she's going to beat Holly Holm. And she wasn't even looking at, she didn't even consider her a threat. And yet Holly Holm is in the back. And she's training and she's going and she's training and she's training because she knew the kind of opponent she was going against. And she went in and she shocked the world that night and took down Ronda Rousey. And I remember... We, I never purchased a fight. What a waste of money to purchase a fight. But I wanted to see this fight. My son-in-law was at the house. My, my, my daughter was at the house. My daughter jumps on the couch. Ah! And she starts punching and going, going crazy. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And then all, before I know, we're all doing the same thing. And we're all, when she had finally won, we rejoiced. We were happy. I remember we were just excited that Holly Holm from New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico, had beat this Un, this, this fighter that everybody had considered to be undefeatable. And I see Jacob and I see that because you see he was wrestling with God and he was going at it with God and he wasn't going to let God go. He probably wanted to give up. The Bible says that his, his leg even got dislocated and he didn't tap out. He didn't say, oh God, I'm going away. Uh, that's it. I've had it. I'm done. No, he held on because when you're desperate for God, you hold on. 
When you need God, you hold on. When there is no other, when you're at the bottom of the barrel, looking up, and the whole world has come against you, you hold on to God. You look for God. And here we are, and we have this God that loves us, and I know a God that loves me so much. The Bible says, He knew me when I was in the womb. He chose me before I was even born. Now, this is where God has a hard time. He has the hairs on my head numbered. And I say it's hard because every day there's negative, 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 negative. I don't know how he's keeping up with that, but he knows. He knows. God loves me that much. He cares for me. He died on the cross for me. And I'm afraid to go share it with others that need him. I was afraid to share it with teenagers that needed him. Now, in the, in, in, I, I've been coaching for 13 years. Um, I coach four sports. When I, t- when I took this coaching thing, I only, had, I only had the boys' basketball team. But God put such a love in my heart for this, for, for this job, for this calling, that I began to take every sport I could take. Now I coach girls' volleyball, girls' basketball, boys' basketball, and track. And I'll tell you what. You want to know that when you're doing the will of God, it's a sacrifice. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that serving God is easy because it's not. When, I, when my wife and I committed to Christ, when we committed that this is what we were going to do, we are going to go out into the public schools and begin to reach as many young people as we could. I didn't realize the cost and what that would cost me. That meant I no longer had evenings to do what I wanted. I don't know what your evenings look like. Maybe you get to go home and relax for a little bit, cook dinner, spend time with the kids, turn on the TV, watch your favorite shows. I don't know what your evening looks like, but I know what my evening looks like. I don't get home till 6.30 or 7 o'clock because I'm at the school with the kids. My wife and I both get home at the same time. Together we work to make our dinner, eat, do dishes. By the time we're done, we have 30 minutes to spend with each other, and it's time for bed again. But I'll tell you what, I don't miss it. I don't miss the TV. I don't miss sitting around doing nothing. God has put, when you're doing the will of God, God puts a joy and a peace in your heart for the work that he's given you. God puts that joy in your heart. I can't imagine doing anything else. During the summer months, my wife and I look at each other in the afternoon and we're like, uh, what do I do? I'd go outside and try to mow the lawn, but, you know, lawns don't grow that fast here in Santa Fe. I try to, uh, anything I can try to do, and before I know it, I find myself, and this is honest truth, when there's downtime, understand this, as Christians, when there is downtime, we tend to slack and lag off. And by the end of the summer, I find myself, and this is not, I'm not proud of this, but by the end of the summer, I find myself watching TV, hanging around, doing nothing, wasting time. But then the school year starts, and I get rejoiced again because I know I'm going to get to work with kids. I'm going to get to be able to see these kids and minister to them and win them. In the 13 years that I've coached, I've only taken a first place one time. Have you guys ever seen the trophies that they give? 
They look really nice, but when you pick them up and you hold them, they're just plastic. In fact, as I was walking out of one of the tournaments where we had won a trophy, I dropped the trophy by accident, and I broke it. You see, isn't it funny that we think, I thought coaching was about a trophy. I realized coaching was about ministering to young people. I, uh, on the way home this week from one of our games, one of the girls asked me, Coach, have you always been this cool? And I laughed. I'm not saying that to, to boastfully, trust me. I laughed. I told her, do you know that when I was in middle school, I had no friends? I have more middle school friends now that I'm 45 years old than I had when I was in middle school. It opened my eyes to see why I do what I do. There's always that constant reminder. Sitting in a locker room just as my season ended, I told my girls goodbye yesterday for the, for the that was the last time, to, I don't know if you know this or not, but DeVargas is closing. That was my last time coaching at DeVargas, coaching any volleyball team at DeVargas. And I remember t- I, I was in there telling my girls, thank you for everything. I appreciate you. And to hear a young lady say, coach, You've changed my life. I know what love is now. That's what God is. God is love. How can we say we're Christians when there's a hurting and dying world and we're trying to conform ourselves to this world when God wants us to stand up and be transformed with a renewing of mind, teaching and instructing. There's a saying that comes around every time I, every time I start a basketball season, ball is life. Ball isn't life. But that's the saying that comes around every time. If I begin to talk to, if I was to bring the, 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 uh, the person that works with the children to this altar, I'm going to tell you she's going to say children are life because she's sold out to the children. If I bring the worship leader to the altar, He's going to tell you, oh, worship is life. You've got to worship God with all you have. If you bring the, the ministry to the front, if I was to bring Frank to the front, and, and Brother Frank, he works, he works with the, uh, with, with, and I've, been, I've had the opportunity to be in his class. He works with prayer and healing, and he teaches the word. And man, what an amazing, what an amazing job you're doing. Because you walk in, and there may only be eight people there. But he hasn't prepared for eight people. He's bringing the true word of God. He's teaching like there's a hundred people in there. And he's just looking for that one person that maybe needs healing. Or that one person that needs God. If I was to ask the, the person in charge of men's ministry... They tell me it's all about men's ministry. We've got to help men. If I asked the woman, the, the, per, the woman in charge of women's ministry, she'd be telling me it's all about the women. We need our why. You need godly women in this church, and we can go on and on because God has given us all different gifts. I'm going to continue in a, in in a Romans chapter 12. For just as each one of us has one body with many with many members. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to to all the others. We have different gifts 
according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving them, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In that scripture, we find that every single one of us has a calling. We've all been called in one form or in one way or another to serve Christ. I, I, I don't like working with adults as much as kids, as, as teenagers. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's, I, I love adults. Don't get me wrong. I love adults. But, man, I'm, I'm around teenagers and I'm in my element. Man, I, I, I'm, for, I'm 42 years old. and I, I'm 45 years old and I can talk like a teenager. I can act like a teenager. I know what they're going through. I know the struggles they have. I know I can look at them and know when, when there's been a breakup. Have you ever been in a gym? You have, to, you have to know where I'm coming from. I walk in the gym and here comes a girl and right away beelines right to me, looking at me, and all of a sudden the second she sees me, tears start coming down her eyes. Coach! He left me for someone else! And I'm like, oh, no, this is not happening. Now I'm not, my practice just got ruined because I'm going to have to deal with this girl that's just going through this emotional breakdown. And I don't mind doing it. I don't mind doing it. I love doing it. It doesn't scare me off. Or working with, a, you know what, guys are just as bad. <laughs> they're, just, they're just as bad. They try to walk in all. But then I'm like, where is this person at? And I think he's in a locker room. I'm going to the locker room, and he's just there slouched over and doesn't want to say anything, and he's hurt, and he's, he's trying to hold the tears in, and finally he tells me what happened. And, and he just, I just listen because sometimes we just need to listen. I work with a lot of teenagers that don't have fathers or mothers. And I realize that when God gave me his heart, I, don't, I do not shame from telling my girls on my volleyball team, I love you. Or telling the boys on my basketball team, I love you. And I explained to them at the beginning of the season, when I tell you that I love you, it's not like any other boy is going to tell you. It's different. Because I love you like a father would love you. And that love doesn't come from me. And I explained this to them. That love doesn't come from me. It comes from God. I take the time to read Chicken Soup for the Soul to my, to my players. And we have a discussion. It's not about the sport. It's about the impact that we're making. That's where the true reward is. And if you think you can't be effective for God, think again. Because God says, you know, I, I look at the Word of God and, and, and maybe I'm, I see some of you out there and we have insecurities. Moses had insecurities. I had insecurities. Gideon had insecurities. Jeremiah had insecurities. We always think that we're not enough. It's, not nor it's normal to think that you're not good enough to do God's work. Get that. It says it in the Word of God. We think that, oh, I... 
I could never do that. Maybe it's me. You know what? We all think like that. We all think like that. I, I, I was blessed a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Pancho came in from Mexico City, from Juarez, Mexico, and he began to share his testimony. Who am I? See, we need to start right, and like he said, we're working on our story, and we should be working on God's story. And when we're working on God's story, we're not worried about what we think or what we look like or if we fail or not, because when you're working on God's story, God gives you the power. God gives you the word. God gives you the desire. That desire was never there. I didn't have a desire to be in, in, in with, with, with young people like that in the schools. But God gave me a desire. I, I'm hungry for that. I, I'm passionate about that. Jeremiah verse, chapter 1, verse 5 through 10 says this. And this was, this was uh, God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign God, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today that I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down and to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. You see, we're not alone. As humans, we fail. With God, we can't fail. See, God doesn't choose us without equipping us. God does not choose us without equipping us. He's not going to call you to do something that He's not ready to help you along with. That's the kind of God I serve. Because all He's asking for is a willing person. He's asking for someone to be part of the body. One of us may be a hand, someone else may be a foot. But we're all part of the body. And God wants to give each and every one of you a gift. And He's not going to abandon you and say, okay, now you're on your own. Now you can go out there and do things. Here you go and sends you off. And, th and you think you're all, you're, you're all alone. You're never alone with Christ. With God, we're never alone. God gives us the giftings, the talents, the words, the ability, the desire to work in whatever ministry He puts you in. See, the problem with America today is not Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. The problem with America today is we have a church that has been silent that will not stand up from the pew and go out and minister to a hurting and dying world. We are God's hope. We are God's hope. We need to reach out and be God's voice in a dark place. We look at the name of this church, the light. Didn't God tell us in Matthew chapter 5 to be the light? Didn't He tell us that we would be the salt of the earth? And yet, we're conforming and we're sitting back and we're happy being at home. We're happy sitting in the pew and going home. We're happy that we pray. We're happy that we read our word. We're happy that we know who God is. And we're okay that we're not reaching a hurting and dying world. I walk into a public school and I see distress. I see depression. I see hurt. I see strife. I see kids that are rejected. 
that are ready to give up on life. I am not going to sit in a pew and not do what God has called me to do. And neither should you. I'm no better than you. I'm telling you, I'm not lifting myself up. Understand, I'm not lifting myself up. I was afraid to go into the world. I didn't think I could do it. I thought once I got there, it would last for a little while, and then I'd be right back where I was. But I realized when I stepped out, and I stepped out, and I began to do what God called me to do, I realized that God had my footsteps ordered. He had my back. He knew what I was going to encounter. He gave me words to speak, and I had no idea what I was saying. And at the end of speaking to a young person, they're just bawling and crying. How did you know what I was going through? I didn't know what you were going through. But God knew what you were going through. See, God's calling us to do more than to sit at work next to someone and do our job. God is calling us to be a light, to minister to our co-workers, to minister to the people at the stores. How many times have you seen a homeless person and walked right by them, never thinking once, you may not have money to give them. You may not have anything to give them. But you have God. Just to take a moment and pray with them. You see, we are so involved in our own lives. I was so involved in my own life. It wasn't easy when I stepped out. It wasn't easy now that we step out. I don't get to do what I want to on weekends most of the time. I don't get to do what I want to do most of the time. But I'm not sad. I, call, I count it all joy. This morning, Pastor Ron approached me and I, 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 I know that it was God. God knows my heart. God knows our testimony. God knows that why we're here this morning. And he approached me and said, would you mind bringing a lesson? I'm going to be gone on this day. Would you mind teaching on this Sunday morning? I was blown away. Because I know that God is doing a work. The problem was I was honored. I was excited to bring the word of God. The problem was I had a hunt scheduled this morning. I was supposed to take a good friend of mine up to the mountains, and we're supposed to be in the mountains right now hunting. And I had to send him with someone else because this is my heart. This is my joy. This is my love. If I can share with you anything, it would be that God loves you, God wants to use you, and God will make provision for you. It's going to cost you. There will be times where you won't see the light of day. Because you're busy doing his work. There are times where you're going to have to give up your finances to further the kingdom of God. There's going to be time where you're going to have to put someone else's needs in front of yours. But we have to count the cost. Is it worth that one soul? Because my Bible tells me that at the, at, at the coming, when one person receives salvation, that the angels in heaven rejoice more so than the 99 that sit in church. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? 
Are you willing to make that difference to change someone's life, to lead them to a path of righteousness, to lead them to a path of salvation where they know a living and mighty God? That's our job. To lead others to Christ. Not to lift ourselves up. Not to say how good we are, but to lead others to Christ. That is the calling that God has on each and every one of us. See, God didn't leave us alone. There's something that's really important is that when, when Christ began to speak right after the crucifixion and, and Christ appeared to his disciples, he began to tell them something that was really important. He told them, you need to wait. Go into Jerusalem and wait. Wait for my spirit, that you would receive power. Don't go out and do anything, because now it was the transition, had, 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 had everything had changed, and now it wasn't Christ anymore. Now it was the disciples that were going to go out and win the world. They would be God's voice. They would be God's hands. They would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. It was no longer Christ doing it. Now he had appointed the disciples and his followers to do that. You and I. But he didn't leave us alone. I can't heal anybody. I've tried. I've tried. I'm not lying. I've tried. Somebody falls down at, at somebody falls down at, in, in practice. I try to do whatever I can, but still the ankle's still swollen. I can't do it. I can't minister. It's God. God brings the healing. God brings the word. God brings the desires. God brings the vision. And he said in Acts, if we would that if we would wait. See, the disciples were in one room in one accord. They were in prayer and supplication. The word of God says they were in prayer and supplication. They were seeking God. They had heard God. They understood who God was. I didn't get to walk with Christ. I wish I would have been able to walk with Christ. But then I wouldn't have a nice car. Then I wouldn't be able to get to my destination in 30 minutes. It would take days to get to my destination. I wish I would have gotten to know Christ. But I'm kind of glad I didn't live in those times. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm amazed when I hear Peter. And as they were at the Last Supper... And Peter and, and, and Christ began to speak with Peter. And he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you like the grain. And Peter says, Lord, I will die with you. I will go to prison with you, Lord. And Christ tells him, Peter, I tell you the truth, you knucklehead. Before the rooster crows three times today, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Bam! It's like right, and I'm like, yeah, right, God, that ain't happening. It happened. You see, we say we're strong, but when it comes to that time, I look at Peter, and then we find out that Peter went in. Peter went in to go sit as they were preparing Christ for the crucifixion. He's sitting in the courtyard, and Peter's trying to camouflage in, and he's sitting with the other people there, trying to be part of the crowd. And somebody says, "Hey." Weren't you with that man? And he right away, he gets defensive. No, not me. Again, someone else comes and approaches him. I know you were with them. And he gets upset again and tells him, no, not me. And the third time, someone approaches him and says, weren't you? And he gets really frustrated and really angry and stands up and says, no. And just as he begins to speak, the rooster crows three times. Isn't it amazing how we put our trust in God, but when our faith is tested, 
we tend to hide and camouflage and try to get back into the, you know, be, just be part of something else when we don't want to stand out. We try not to stand out. God needs a church. Wow. God needs a church that is willing to stand up and say, I am your vessel. I will be your hands. I will be your voice. I can't do it, Lord. I am nobody. I have nothing to offer you but my voice, my hands, my heart, and all who I am. See, today my vision has changed. Again, not boasting, but understand this. When you love God and you begin to do His work, your vision changes. I don't see teenagers or people like I used to see them before. I see them with so much love and compassion. I just want to run up to a teenager sometimes and give them a hug and love them. And I never was like that. I was afraid. I would see teenagers walking down. You know, my wife and I, we, we, um, it's different because we used to work. And we have worked with gang members and kids that are in drugs and kids that are uh, in, in, in depression and suicide and alcohol. And then God moves us to a place where, you know, this this, the youth group in this church is amazing. It is. I, I want to say Jason and the youth leaders in this church are doing an amazing job. If you've never had the opportunity to come to a Friday night and see what your youth group is doing, I encourage you, come and see. Come and see. They're getting the word. They're getting close to God. They're getting prayed for. They're getting, they are in love with God. The worship, uh, this morning, worship is the bomb. This worship is like amazing. I come here and I can't stand, I can't help, every time I come in I'm like a little baby just tearing like crazy because I feel the anointing and the spirit of God in this place that is ushered in by the worship team. They're not performing, they're worshiping. And I love that. But I come on Friday night and I see the same thing. They're loving and worshiping God. There's kids laid out on the floor. There's kids on their knees lifting their hands. There are kids in the corner down in a ball coming before God in prayer. It is amazing what God is doing in this place. I've had the opportunity to come to men's prayer on Wednesday morning. And I'm getting encouraged listening to the Word of God, listening to my brothers, listening to, to other men testify what they're going through or, or sharing a word or sharing their prayers with one another. Man, what an encouragement. If you're not encouraged, it's because you're not getting involved. If you're not encouraged, it's because you're not seeking God. The Word of God says, doesn't a woman who's lost her keys begin to seek and diligently to find her keys or to find, I'm sorry, to find her coin. Sometimes we look for our keys harder than we look for God. We lose our keys and we spend more time looking for our keys than we spend looking for God. If you begin to seek out God, if we can begin to seek out God and see the blessing that He has right in this church, you'll be encouraged. You're going to get excited to go into the world and preach the word. You're going to get excited to go into, in, into your workplace and be a light in dark places, to be the salt. This morning, I, I know that I still have more of my lesson, but I'll save that for another time. Can we ask, can I ask the prayer team to go up against the wall? Find your place. I honestly believe that this morning, this was not the message I had. 
this was not the, ma- I, I struggled. I struggled. The, the lesson I wanted to teach, I didn't get to teach. God changed. God changed everything I was going to say. I struggled. I, I, I've taught on many occasions. And I had a completely different lesson. And I struggled. Because it was my lesson, not God's lesson. I know God has spoken to some hearts here this morning. There's some of you that have had God's calling in your life and God's been nudging at you, but you've been like Jonah and you're running in the opposite direction. You're running from God rather than to God. God's calling you to do great things for Him, but you're running. Or maybe you're afraid of the sacrifice. Maybe you're not willing to give up your time. Maybe you're not willing to give up your life. Because in essence, when you turn your life over to Christ, you give up your life. But I do know this. I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking from knowledge and the wisdom that God has given me. When you give your life for Christ, He will give you joy unspeakable. He will give you peace unspeakable. When those trials come your way, God is right there at the front standing with you. When others come against you, God stands in front of you. And behind you. When we struggle with sin, God gives us the power to overcome. I've gained more by giving my life for Christ than I ever could have on my own. The joy we have, the joy I have of knowing who God is. It's amazing. And this morning I want to invite you. Maybe God's been speaking to you. I don't think God brought this message by accident. I look around and, 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 and I'm fairly new here. And I see the many ministries taking place and I'm, God, how can you be speaking to these people? I see the, I see the men like Danny that are in love with God that he shows up in the morning and takes his lunch at 6 o'clock in the morning to come to men's prayer. Pastor Ron is an amazing man. You know, I see him, and I've gotten to know him, and I've gotten to see his heart, and he loves people. He loves the unsaved, and he loves the saved. He has a heart for God's people. He knows his word. Take time to appreciate Him. This morning, if God is speaking to you, and you want to stand up and say, God, here I am. Here I am, God. I'm yours. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't even know how to do it. But God, if you want me, here I am. Guide me, lead me, direct me, take me and mold me, transform my mind, make me a light and salt to those around me. If that's you this morning, will you stand up and will you go find someone standing in one of these, standing against the wall? Will you go to them and ask them to pray with you? 
There is nothing that we can do for you, but everything that God does for you happens through people. It happens by the laying of hands, by the speaking of words, by the ministering. If you're not standing this morning, I assume that you're in the will of God. And what I want to do is I want to pray with you. Because when you stand for God, there is opposition. When you stand for God, there are hardships. There are times that I long to do what I like to do. I'm human. And I want to pray that God give you strength. That God give you a desire to continue plowing forward. To continue seeking and serving Him. To continue doing His work. Can we all bow our heads as we go before the Lord in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before your presence humbled. Without you, we are nothing, Lord. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before you, Lord. The things I do on my own, they are nothing. But Lord, when you come in and you guide and insert your spirit within our hearts, when you insert your spirit within our minds, we can do all things. You give us strength to stand against the enemy. You give us strength to reach the lost, knowledge to reach the lost. You give us a heart to reach the lost. Lord, I pray that you would give us your eyes, that we could see others not through our judgmental eyes, but that we could see them through your loving eyes, receiving them with open arms. I pray your anointing and your spirit upon these people this morning, Lord, that you would touch them and guide them and lead them, that you would direct their path, Lord, that you would walk before and behind them, Lord, that you would just begin to do a mighty work through them, Lord. We are your vessels, Lord. Use us for your glory and your honor. Lord, let us reach this city for your kingdom. Let us be a light that stands on a hill that will not be hid. Let us not be conformed to this world, but let us stand out and be transformed. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your grace and your mercy, your blood that was shed for our sins. I pray that your spirit would guide and lead us throughout this week, that we would not forsake your word or forsake our time with you, but that we would come before you seeking you, loving you, desiring you. In Jesus' name.